There has never been a time in United States history when more Americans claim to know Jesus Christ personally. Thousands gather in stadiums and auditoriums to praise His name and hear powerful preaching. But one thing we need to understand about the authentic hand of God, it will reveal itself in bottom-line honesty, not just emotional highs. This is why we are in the midst of a careful study of God's Big Ten, the Ten Commandments. Jesus said that he came to fulfill the law in our hearts, and Paul told us in Ephesians chapter 4 that when a thief comes to Christ, he will steal no more. Instead, he will work with his hands, not just meet his own needs, but also the needs of others. Let's join Dave Wurtzen as we share together about the kind of radical transformation unbelievers need to see in believers. Jesus Christ has come into our life so that when we're given a bribe, somebody tries to bribe us in business, somebody tries to push a deal through, we say no. No. I can't do it. They say, man, it's going to be a great deal. No one will ever find out. You say, somebody already has found out. The one that's most important to me, the one that I live for, the one that I really serve. When your business partners and the people you work with and your school teachers and all the different people that come in contact with us, when they see those kind of choices from God's people, when they see a business executive that's given a great opportunity to make a little bit more, but he just have to cheat just a little bit, twist the rules a little bit. When they see a person say no and even take loss from that, there's going to be a revival in this land. There's going to be a great moving of the Spirit among unbelievers when God's people live, thou shalt not steal. And when I really challenge you, say, David, you know, to be honest with you, man, as we're talking, in fact, you haven't even mentioned the area that I've got a little trouble with, but the Holy Spirit right now while we've been talking has put his finger on a specific area that I've really got to get right. Do it. Do it. Because if you don't, it's like unplugging your spiritual cords. It's like unplugging yourself when you have the Spirit of God convict you in your heart and you don't respond. And the Lord wants you to, to respond in action. You got to do it. You can talk about it. You can belly, you know, cry great tears. You can get real emotional about it. What the Lord said in the book of Jeremiah is I want to see it. And he's going to help you do it. We're going to learn in just a minute that he doesn't just leave us out here by ourselves to learn not to steal and to be honest. He doesn't just leave us by ourselves. He breathes himself into our life. But as he breathes ourselves into our life, those that used to steal don't steal any longer. You say, well, Dave, you've been in the Old Testament. I'm not really an Old Testament saint anymore. Well, this is one of the areas that we put together kind of a biblical study, a biblical theology of stealing and what the Bible says about stealing in the Bible. You turn to Matthew chapter 19. In fact, you could turn to every one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Every single one of them, repeat, thou shalt not steal. as one of the commandments that was very near and very close to the heart of Jesus. In fact, the rich young ruler said, what must I do to be saved in Matthew chapter 19? And Jesus said, well, have you obeyed the commandments? And the rich young ruler said, yeah, I've obeyed them all since I was a kid. 
And Jesus repeated those commandments. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt honor your father and your mother. Thou shalt remember the Sabbath. He repeated the commands. And the guy said, I've obeyed them all. And Jesus said, okay, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. The guy wouldn't do it. And it revealed his heart. In fact, Mark chapter 7 tells us something real important about stealing that I want you to learn. You say, why did someone steal? Now, our society is really in a tither over trying to figure out why people sin. And we blame it on society. If somebody tries to steal, you know, we blame it on society. It's got to be their fault. Or we blame it on the school system. We blame it on their parents. We blame it on everything except what the Bible says is the ground cause. Not that parents, not that environment, not that there's not other influences. But the bottom line that makes people sin is revealed in Mark chapter 7, verse 20. Jesus went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, this is the cause, from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, and there it is, theft, theft, theft. So when you ask the question, because everyone in our society, everyone's always trying to figure out sin. In my counseling ministry, I hear it again and again. I can't believe I did it. Why did I do it? Why did I sin? Why did I break God's command? Why did I steal? And what they want you to do is to go into all kinds of explanations as to why they stole. You know what the answer to that question? Why did you steal? And I tell you why. Because your heart is sinful. And it doesn't make any sense. It's stupid to, to steal. It doesn't make any sense at all. And right in our community, we should know that. I mean, just recently, it just kind of got lost in the publicity. Man, years ago, it would have made an incredible, incredible news headlines across the United States. But some of our young men that went to our high school, some of them, suddenly disappear for a few days. They're gone. Their parents said, well, you know, they were looking for a deer lease. But when they don't show up, you know, in the early in the week and there's too many days that have gone by, suddenly people start to get really worried and they find three dead guys lying before a copper wire. Why? Because they were stealing. What a metaphor for how stupid it is to break the commands of God. They're stealing the copper lines that ground out the high tension, the, the, the high power lines, and then sooner or later you're almost guaranteed to make a mistake and get jolted with several million volts of electricity. Young men are dead. You know why they're dead? Because if we break the commands of God, thou shalt not steal, you're playing with your life. And the Lord says, why do we do that? It's not the school's fault. It's not Midlothian's fault. It's not Waxahachie's fault. It's not our, our society's fault. Why do people steal? Because of the greediness that's deep in their heart. And that's where the good news really enters in. Because Jesus in Mark 7 said, this is the problem. But Jesus is the one that can transform us. I want to talk to you about it. How in the world can we stop stealing? How in the world can we stop stealing? Turn to Romans chapter 13, verses uh, 8 and following. Romans chapter 13. We learn we shouldn't steal things. We shouldn't steal animals. We shouldn't steal people. We shouldn't steal loyalty. We didn't mention Absalom and David. Absalom stealing the loyalty that was due his parents. The Old Testament is reaffirmed in the New Testament. Now let's look at Romans 13. In verse 8, we begin. Let's begin reading with verse 8 of Romans 13. Let no debt remain outstanding. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. 
the commandments. Now we go right through what we're studying right now. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. And here's a command or focus today. Don't steal. Do not covet. And whatever other commandment there may be, they're all summed up with this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's a quote from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. The reason that stealing is wrong is that stealing harms our neighbor. Love does no harm to its neighbor. And because stealing is a harm to our neighbor, God hates it. Therefore, love is a fulfillment of the law. Now, let's go on because Paul's going to talk about the motivation, the real difference that we have in Christ. And do this understanding at the present time. The hour has now come for you to wake up from your slumber because your salvation is nearer now than when you first believed. As I look at you as the body of Christ, many of you can look back to the hour, the moment that you believe. If you can, I would invite you right in this service to make this the moment, as Billy Graham says, make it your moment of decision. The time when you say, Jesus, you died for me. Jesus, you rose again to give me new life. I want you to come in to my life. You should do that. Most of you have already had that moment. Most of you have already responded to the cross and the resurrection of Christ. And Paul is talking to you. And he's saying, do you know what? The coming of the Lord is nearer than it was when you believed. And he's saying, you need to wake up. What does he mean by that? He's saying that there's a great tendency among the people of God to fall asleep. You see, the New Testament recognizes that there can be some people that have believed in Christ, they've trusted in him, but as they begin to grow in their spiritual life, they hit some snags and they begin to fall asleep. In fact, 1 Peter talks about believers. Peter had to say, if you get in trouble, if you suffer from the government, don't let it ever be for stealing. The fact that he had to tell them that meant that they had some thieves in the first century church. The book of 1 Corinthians talks about stealing among the household of faith. In fact, right in the Lord's own ministry, Right in the Lord's own ministry, he had a thief that on the outside looked like everything was great. Everything was pure. He was even chosen to be the treasurer. But Judas was a thief. The Bible recognizes that as we gather together, we can look great on the outside. Some of us can remember a moment when we believed, but some of us have fallen asleep. The Apostle Paul is saying you need to wake up. And he's implying you need to wake up morally. You need to respond to the power of Jesus that's in your life. Look what he goes on to say. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of the darkness. What he means by this darkness is not dark outside, but the darkness morally. He's saying that in the first century, the believers were living in darkness. They were living among a people that were not ethical. Doesn't that sound familiar? It's not wrong anymore in our society to commit adultery. Just look at the, the morning news today, and you'll see all kinds of theft that's reported. Our society is crumbling morally. We're living in darkness. In fact, when I mentioned in my opening illustration about a teenage girl that took a brand new truck to one of our malls, you all cringed. I, I, you should have seen the parents. I'd love to have videos of all of you. Why? You've gotten used to it. You've gotten used to a society where you have to worry about where your kids go and who they're with because they might get killed or their stuff might get stolen. The scripture's saying, let's wake up as the people of God. 
We need to realize that the coming of the Lord is nearer than it was when we believed. Now, what do we need to do about it? He goes on and tells us, and he talks to us about this incredible power that's available to us. Look at verse 13. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. In other words, not breaking the command that he talked about earlier in this paragraph. But look what he gives. This is the contrast. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not think about how to gratify the desires of your sinful nature. And I want you to look real carefully at that verse. It says, don't think about how to gratify the desires of your sinful nature, but rather clothe yourself with Jesus Christ. You know what that means? It means that as you live this week, it's going to be a real struggle. It means that there's going to be pressure. You're going to have thoughts come into your mind. Go ahead and cheat. Go ahead and steal a little bit. Go ahead and not work so hard. Go ahead, you know, you could get away with paying them a little bit less. All the things we've been talking about. I want you to recognize it's very important as a group of believers to realize you're going to be tempted to live just like unbelievers and for there to be very little difference between the way you live and the way other people live. Now, don't quit because you're tempted like that. A lot of believers, they quit when the things just started. The conflict has just started. They get all discouraged and say, man, I couldn't possibly be. How could I ever be the pastor when I'm, when I'm tempted to steal a little bit? How, how horrible. I should quit the ministry. Well, I hate to disillusion you, but there are times when I'm tempted to just cheat a little bit in my word. One of the ways that I steal is I can steal a little bit on the truth. Instead of just really telling you the whole truth, I don't want to hurt your feelings. So I make it nicer. That's why I married Mary. She helps me not to be so nice. <laughs> and not to steal the truth from people. I'm tempted. We're all tempted like that. When I'm working on my income tax and working with the accountant that has to figure out all of my crazy taxes, I want to just stretch it as far as I can. Oh, I'm so glad that the accountant that does my thing says, I want to tell you something right up front. We're not going to do anything tricky or nothing. We're just going to pay the government what they, what they owe. But it's the best way to do it. Because I don't want you to be like Willie Nelson. I mean, Willie Nelson can make a lot of money doing concerts, but David, your guitar playing will never make it. So we're going to pay the government what they owe. But I'm tempted. I'm tempted. So are you. What do we do when we're tempted? The Lord wants us to be really honest with him. He wants us to say, dear Lord Jesus, this is my old stinking way of life. This is the old way I used to live. And this smelly little idea that just came into my, into my heart is, is from the evil one. It's from this past way of life as well. That's not me anymore. And Lord Jesus, I want to clothe myself with you. I want you to express your life through me. That's why I was born again. When I accepted you into my life, you came in the presence of your spirit to dwell within me. Express yourself. And so you write the check out for exactly what those employees are due. You make sure their pension fund is right on the money. You make sure Uncle Sam gets exactly what he needs. You work those hours. Man, if you're keeping track of your own hours, you keep them right exactly because you're clothed with the person of Jesus Christ. I close today by talking about two guys. I already mentioned Judas to you in the book of John, 
chapter 12, verse 6, there's a story that takes place. Mary Magdalene comes in, and she dumps ointment all over. Mary comes in, really, Mary and Martha. Mary comes in and dumps a whole year's salary of perfume all over the feet of Jesus. This aroma, man, just goes over the whole place where they were. Judas just about came unglued. And he starts murmuring among the crowd. Man, like, what a big waste. Man, this stuff could have been spent, you know, it could have been given to the poor. And then John says a devastating critique of Judas. He says he wasn't worried about the poor. It says he was the treasurer and he was a thief. And he wanted that money, a year's salary, which would be a lot of money to be put in his treasury so he could pilfer it, so he could take it. And that's the man that went on to betray the Lord. The man was a thief. But you know, there was another man that the gospel closes with. In Luke chapter 23, verses 39 and following, it talks about us another thief. Matthew tells us that there were two robbers, two thieves that were crucified with the Lord. One of them cursed and blasphemed, never turned away from his thieving and robbery, all of his hatred. But you remember what the other thief said? The other thief said, this man has done nothing wrong. We are suffering for what we deserved. But this man has done nothing amiss. And then he said this. A thief that broke the eighth commandment said to the Son of God, I want you to remember me when you come in your kingdom. Now that's an incredible statement. You're hanging on a cross because you're a thief. And God says, the almighty God of the universe says, you should not only die on that cross for being a thief, but you should die eternally because you've broken the mosaic, the righteous, holy law of God. You are a thief. And this thief has the audacity to say to the Son of God, I want you to remember me when you come into paradise, when you come into heaven. When you go to heaven, don't forget me. And Jesus said the most incredible good news that you could ever hear. He said to the thief on the cross, today, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. You know what's going to stop you from stealing? When you fall in love with a Savior that said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. It's the power of Jesus' love for you. You, every one of you, I want you to think through your life. As we go through these commandments, there's not a chance in the world for you to obey these commands. There's not a chance in the world for you to obey these commands if you haven't come to the place in your life where you've said, Jesus, I admit, I am tempted to steal. I'm tempted not to honor my parents. I'm tempted to lie. I'm tempted, there's a lot of anger. I'm tempted to murder. I'm tempted to hate people. And I do those things. I fulfill those desires. And I admit it to you. Like the thief on the cross, I'm willing to admit I deserve to be here. I deserve the judgment of God. But I want to look to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want you to remember me. I want to, I want to accept the fact that you died for me, that you paid for my thievery, that you paid for my immorality, that you paid for my dishonoring of my parents. I want you to take the punishment for me. The third day, Jesus rose again, and because he's alive, you can say to him, I want you to come in and live in my life. I want you to become the transforming person that gives me a new life, gives me a new personality in you. 
And I want to walk with you, and I want to live with you. I want to become a new creation. The scripture says, for by grace you'll be saved just in a moment of time. If you haven't made that decision, why don't you do it? Maybe you've heard this over and over again. But we've been talking about thou shalt not steal. It convicts you. It's like a, it's like a, a knife that goes right to the dividing of your heart. And you say, Dave, if you only knew. I've got a friend of mine. They had a guy working in their church that was stealing from the church plate. He ended up, he did it for about two years, just kept filtering from the church plate. You know, the plates were at the door, kind of like we do it. He just took a little bit out every day. Every Sunday, he took a little bit more. His conscience just got so bad, it got worse and worse. Finally, he took one of the checks and signed his name on the back of it to endorse it. Not real smart for a thief. And he was discovered. But you know what? That young man was able to be dealt with was able to receive the forgiveness that Christ can give. You know why? Because Jesus says to anyone, if they'll look at him and say, will you remember me? I admit my wrong. I want you to change my life. I want to receive the newness that only Jesus can bring. Then a thief becomes transformed. And I want to tell you the depth of that transformation. You know, the Lord not only takes a thief and makes him a hard-working laborer that earns a just wage, but the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 28, says this. Let him who stole, let him who stole steal no more. But it goes on and doesn't say, but rather let him work eight hours a day to earn a fair wage. It says this, but rather let him work with his hands. In other words, earn a really good, fair wage. But you know what it goes on to say? That he might give. Let him work with his hands that he might have to give to others. Now that's regeneration. The Lord Jesus takes a thief, and when he's born again into God's family, really born again, he's no longer a thief. He now works not just to meet his own need or her own needs, but he now works so that he can open his heart in graciously giving to others. Let's pray. Why don't you just talk to the Lord and say something like this. Dear Lord, as we've been going through the Ten Commandments, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Be sure to have a special day that you honor the Lord or recognize every day in the new covenant. But you need to live every day for his glory. Honor your father and your mother. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. The law is a diagnostic tool that just penetrates the spiritual reality of our heart. And you say, Dave, as I've been hearing about the law, I realize I've broken the law. Will you say, Jesus, I admit that I'm a thief or that I've broken the Ten Commandments in other ways. But Jesus, I want you to take the penalty that I deserved. I trust what you did for me. Will you depend upon that? Tell the Lord that. Say, Lord, I depend upon the fact that you died for me to take the rap for my breaking of the Ten Commandments. And Jesus, I believe you rose again. Come into my life. And I'm going to rely upon your power, just like Paul talked about. I'm going to clothe myself with Jesus Christ. I'm going to receive him. But as many as received him, to them give you the power to become the sons of God. Don't any of you miss 
Don't any of you miss that great gift? Every one of us need to be like the thief in the cross where we have a moment when we say, Jesus, remember me. Have you stolen this week? We're going to really see a moving of the Spirit when if you've stolen this week, that you go and repay that money or you go and make up that time when you didn't really, really put in the hours that you said you did. We're going to really see a moving in the spirit when some employers say, you know, I haven't really been paying you what you're worth. When we have employers that are really looking at the people that are underneath them and they're seeing those that are gifted and they're giving them reward. They're giving them something to live for. They're not just thinking about themselves. They're thinking about all those underneath them that are working for them and making really sure that they're taken care of. I guarantee you, if you respond to the spirit as an employer, as you live this life, it will not return void to you. It will build a business that is strong and that's faithful and that's true. But as long as we just talk and we don't become ethical in our actions, then even the most powerful message of the gospel is not going to be recognized and not going to be accepted in our culture. 